0: Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent, here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil & Gas Team.
1: So. A little about our sponsors, Ericsson. As we're all aware, the oil and gas industry is digitizing rapidly. In addition to helping the industry reap the benefits of cost reductions, capture efficiencies for top-line revenue, achieve safety and environmental goals, digitization is enabling better and stronger connectivity. Ericsson provides best-in-class connectivity solutions for the oil and gas industry with its 4G and 5G private networks. Check out their site at www.ericson.com forward slash oil and gas. I will put this in the notes of each one of the episodes. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce of Tomorrow, sponsored by Ericsson. I'm Jason Duff from IBM, oil and gas lead for North America. I'm here today with my co-host, Jerry. Jerry Lewis. Hey, Jerry, how are you doing today?
0: Hi, Jason. I'm doing well. How
1: are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Hey, Jerry a question for you.
0: LGBT. I need to get this right. What does that mean to you, Jerry? Well, I've just learned a new definition of that, which is not to say that lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, or any other permutation and other letters we'd add aren't the proper definition, but I heard let's get better together. And our guest, Nikki, who used to be a boy, but is now okay, has joined us. So Nikki, please introduce yourself. Hey, um, Nikki. Hey, Jason. Nice to see you again. Nice to meet you, Jerry. Nice to meet you as well, Nikki. Thanks for joining us. Would you like my definition
2: of LGBT?
1: Yes, because he got it wrong, didn't he? Laughter right. gets better
2: together, I think, Nikki. Oh, what did mean? I say? You said, let's get better together, which is just as good. But uh, okay. no, Laughter Gets Better Together is my comedy show. Oh, I am oh that's right. The comedy professional show. Comedian. That's my comedy show. Yes. Okay. And I usually start because often there's, you know, cis, straight people in it. So we, you obviously know most people don't really know what LGBT stand for. So let me just help you. L that's lesbian. That's girls are like girls. G that's gay. That's boys who like boys. B is bi. That's those who haven't made their mind up. No, no, no. I'm joking. They have made their mind up. You all kind of straight people often think that's boys or girls. Well, <laughs> I promise you it's boys and girls usually at the same time. And then T stands for fabulous. Take it from me. And so for those of your listeners who are listening and can't see the picture, I do look like a girl, even if I sound like a boy.
1: And looking lovely today, Nick. And actually, you don't even need to say you're a comedian at this point as well, because listeners are probably already worked this one out, correct?
2: <laughs> that depends whether they found that funny or not, but yeah. <laughs> boom, boom. Yeah. So, Nicky, can you just introduce yourself? Who are you? And at least we can go from there. Okay, so my name is Nikki Take. Miss Nicky Take on Mistake i'm not the only mistake there's always a couple of people listening thinking they might want to date me that's a mistake (laughs) obviously nikki tech is my stage name and my branding is corporate drag queen drag where in my case drag stands for not dressed as girl which is what it really stands for but stands (laughs) for drive rapid accountable growth and so what i do is i help businesses like yours like ibm who were a client for years win big complex deals most people win one in three one in four of the deals they go after my clients win three out of four and they don't pay me unless they win that's
0: what i do well nikki that brings me immediately to a question that we talked about in the or an anecdote you related in our pre-meet when we're getting to know each other a bit before you transitioned with all of your experience and your ability to negotiate deals As a man, when you would make a statement in a boardroom or to a bunch of executives, it was taken at face value and there was a credibility there. Making the same statement as a woman, tell us what that's been like for you.
2: So I think there's an underlying malaise in society that starts with there's a basic assumption that a man is competent until he is found to be incompetent and that a woman is incompetent until she is proven to be competent. And so, yeah, as a male kind of executive coach, (laughs) my core skill set is I listen to deal teams and I figure out what they should say to the client in order to get the client to say, yes, we call that a value proposition. And usually after listening to the team for an hour or so, I then replay back to them what I think the elevator pitch is. And I've done it. Six and a half thousand times, and um, you know, I've written twenty-five thousand business-to-business sales presentations. Like I've been doing this for nearly twenty-seven years, and, and I win all the time. So, I, you know, normally when I go, this is what you need to say: simple, faster, better, whatever the you know, the thing is. Almost exclusively, like I cannot recall ever, ever being in a consultancy situation where the team or the lead of the team would not go, oh, that's brilliant. Like you've just succinctly summarized, you know, the argument for us, that's brilliant. But now when I do it, I almost, well, the first time I did it, like I got a shock when, you know, the client on the other side went, oh, I'm not sure, and pushed back. And I made the mistake of reacting in a very masculine way, and we are taught as boys, you put your idea in the room, and then you get behind it, and defend it. And yeah. so I got it and defended it, and started to explain to him why it was the right idea, and then eventually why I had more experience and better results than him, and he really should shut up and listen. Like you know, you're paying me ten thousand dollars a day, you should listen to the advice, kind of thing, which is very masculine and very you know kind of yeah, uncomfortable now for me. And I realized I you know I sat down. And with my mentors, and went, "Oh, why is this happening?" And they went, "Well, because you know they've now perceive you as being female, and so now they're assuming you don't know what you're talking about, and so you need to react differently." So I thought about it long and hard, and you know, the next time it happened, which is the next deal, you know, I was almost waiting for it. Now I know it's coming, and it always comes. I kind of here's what the value proposition should be, and I wait for breath, and then you know, whoever's. The alpha, whoever thinks he's got the biggest appendage in the room will come back. Oh, well, I think it should be, you know, I don't know that's right. And I, now I call this my uh, judo mind trick. You remember the, you know, bit from <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your droids. Right? And I go, oh, okay, so what would be better? And you get that moment where he has to actually think about it. And now he's not just objecting because it came from, you know, somebody who's, you know, it's not about my credibility. It's about the idea now. He's got to think about the idea. It's like, oh, well, uh," and, you know, very quickly they come back with, well, no, I guess it's pretty good. And from a coaching point of view, there's something very interesting that's happened during that. And that is that it's become his idea, not mine. And now because it's his idea, they're much more enthusiastically get behind it. And they're much more enthusiastically go and actually sell it to the client. So my win rates have gone up. And when I was a man and coaching deals, we were winning 76% of all my deals. And as we sit right now, I've won 90% of every deal I've coached as Nikki and a hundred percent of the billion dollar deals. Like I just haven't lost a deal. And I think it's because I'm being less masculine in my coaching and much more nurturing and much more, you know, I am mummy, not daddy, and and it's working. Like we all do what mummy says. We do what daddy says reluctantly. We do what mummy says, you know, happily. And so I'm a much better coach as a woman than I ever was as a boy. But it has taken me to realise that well, I'm lucky, I'm gonna transitioned at a senior position where I've, you know, I am the best in the world at what I do and I don't need to defend it. I don't need to prove it. Like, look at the numbers. Like it's fairly obvious. You know, often I hear, you know, male voices chiming in and trying to suggest that it's not the case or that they're, you know, they're whining and, you know, but it's just true. It's like you you just listen for it, sit in a meeting and listen. When an idea comes into the meeting and sit and listen to how it's, Reacted to by the other people around the table. And more often than not, you'll hear frequently women, particularly senior women, will talk about how they've been in a room, they've put an idea on the table, everyone's ignored it. And then half an hour later, a male voice has picked the idea up and put it in as their idea. And everyone goes, Oh, that's a good idea. And you'll hear that story more than once. But here's my lived experience. Like, sit every day, I sit in meetings and now, you know, listen to how people react differently. But like I said, it's made me a better coach because, you know, I listen for those things. Yeah.
0: Nikki, that makes me think about what we were talking about earlier on neurodiversity. And you talked about how a woman's approach is more nurturing, a man's approach, not so much. I'm sure there's validity to both approaches. What about extending that to include (laughs) other kinds of voices? whether it's gender-related, race-related, other types of diversity, neurodiversity. Can you comment a bit about that? And I think you had a couple of analogies and ways of explaining this in an impressive way. I think our audience could really benefit from hearing it. So part of my day job is to teach and coach other people
2: to be coaches, to coach deals. And so we have some tricks, if you like, some things to help people become better coaches. And so I have an analogy I use to describe the difference between diversity and inclusion. And there's a long version of this on my website or YouTube channel people want to see. It. It's called Chicken Curry. i you do the fast version. And the fast version is diversity is going to the fridge, opening it, seeing you've got all of the ingredients to make a chicken curry. Yep. Inclusion is getting Gordon Ramsay to come around to make it for you. And the thing about chicken curry, if there's any chefs around, the difference between a... Bad chicken curry and an amazing chicken curry is often the smallest ingredient. If you don't put any salt in your sauce, it tastes very bland, no matter how spicy it is. Okay. So, salt, which is the smallest, it's just a pinch, like is the bit that makes the difference between a good sauce and an amazing sauce. So, how do you get the salt in? So, you know, hold that analogy in your head and imagine that we're in a meeting and the meeting has all the ingredients in the table. So, we, you know, we've got people from all over the world and we've got You know, different genders. Some people think that's only two. Some people think it's more. (laughs) Room full of different genders. A few. A room full of different sexualities. A room full of different histories and backgrounds and points of views. Got all this massive diversity, and we're all very good at that because it's easy to spot. Often, I mean, some diversity less, but you know, nobody misses me when I walk in the room, and like I'm obviously kind of you know part of the. And I club. Like, I'm, part of, I'm obviously not. Or I should say, often you need a word to describe people who are not LGBT. Mm. Yes. And I have the word we're supposed to use is cisgendered heteronormative or cishet, but I find that a bit of a mouthful. And so I have a better word for you. And the word is boring. Just hold that thought. Okay? <laughs> So all the boring people are at the front of the room and they do all the talking and make all the decisions. And then they walk out the room, patting themselves on the back, going, oh, it's really good. You know, we have people from India there. It was a good, diverse meeting. Actually, but it wasn't very inclusive if you didn't hear anybody. And so... Here's the very simple trick we teach our coaches. The first thing you do when you go around the table and introduce everybody is you write everybody's name down on a piece of paper so that you know exactly who's there and how to pronounce their name. And then during the meeting, every time somebody speaks, you tick their name. And at the end of the meeting, you should have one tick next to everybody's name. Everybody has spoken and participated. And then the second tick that you put next to their name is, have you heard them express an opinion? So often you'll hear people just go, oh, I agree with that. And if you ask them a question, so Jason, what do you think of what Jerry said? Yeah, no, I agree. Like they haven't thought. There's been I mean, no thought process behind their response. Then you've heard their voice, but you haven't heard their ideas. You haven't heard their opinion. And so the second tick is, have you actually heard the opinion? And then a good coach will at some point through the meeting, recognize that somebody hasn't spoken and <laughs> draw them in. And we teach them, you know, lots of techniques. The simple one is Ted's pie, like Ted's pie is an acronym for the words that you can use that are better than why. And so T E D tell me, explain, describe to me, and then pie precisely, you know, in detail and exactly. And so you broaden your conversation. Well, tell me about that. You know, in detail? How do you do that? So these are techniques that we can teach to a coach that are designed to pull somebody into the meeting and pull their ideas up to the front. And if you've done that, if you've held a meeting and everybody has spoken, and everybody has expressed an opinion, a true opinion, not a, you know, like, oh, i agree with the boss, then you've actually had an inclusive meeting. And sometimes we need to take the boss to one side and say, you know, your job in this meeting is to shut up. Because as soon as you express an opinion, everybody else will just agree because that's the corporate culture. So, you know, don't express an opinion until I tell you. And then, you know, you can make your decision at the end, but make sure you've heard everybody first. It's a pretty good life lesson for anybody, but especially for somebody that's in, you know, a, a hierarchy, a power-based hierarchy, where somebody is more important in the hierarchy than somebody else. Like telling them to—it's I mean, one of Covey's, you know, seven habits, isn't it? First, seek to understand, which means shut up and listen. And you know, Jason will have heard me over the last ten years, I'm sure, say. God made me a salesperson because she gave me two ears, two eyes, and one mouth. And My so, father told me that. There you go. So my father's first sort of lesson to your me, father, two ears, one mouth. Your father told you that God was female. I like that. <laughs> that, you know, See, I'm letting everything out in this podcast. You know, For a Scott, that's very, you know. Uh, absolutely. Was he also wearing a skirt when
1: he said it? He was, and it, uh, we're eating porridge and saying, oh, hi. Nicky, uh, you've done work around the globe. You and I knew each other in Asia. Is there any cultures, I was just thinking of what you've just said, and then looking at it from a female's point of view, et cetera, is it the same in every right around as you're looking at as a transgender, et cetera? Is there any that you feel that is more advanced or more thinking this way, or is it all just the same?
2: Well, there are a few examples of matriarchies. yeah. There's a matriarchy in India and there's... Yeah, I was going to say India. I've never operated in them. I've only ever operated in patriarchies. And so, yes, my experience is it's the same. And I think it, you know, I think there's some uh, evolutionary biology behind it. If you're familiar with system one and system two in the brain... The, the fact you have your animal brain that makes instant yep. decisions and then you you rationally think about things afterwards. What happens and this is part of, you know, the thing I've had to learn in order to be read as female on the street, you, you have to recognize that when people walk into a room, the animal brain is looking for threats. And mm. the brain, you know, at a subconscious level knows that things that are moving fast towards them, potential danger. And then it also knows that the only thing that can really kill us in this world, unless you're in Australia, of course, is another human being. (laughs) And so when you walk into a room, your eye tracks the other human beings, particularly if they're moving. And the first classification that happens in your head, which is a threat assessment, like we know that it is the male of the species that is more likely to killers than the female yeah. species. They're typically seventy, you know, twenty five percent bigger, twenty five percent stronger, twenty five percent more aggressive. Like it's a standard deviation, and they overlap. So you get very aggressive females and very big females. But, but you know, on average, like as a set, you know, the threats come from the male of the species, not the female of the species. And so, if I want to be read as female on the street i have to display four times more female cues than male and obviously i can't do anything about being six foot but i can have long hair instead of you know
1: no hair no like hair. me hair. yeah so Nikki, help me out naming conventions there's always a little bit of uncomfortable if you're not used to transgender but there's pronouns etc now that my daughters are picking me up on etc and can you help me and the audience to get this right because that's maybe that's one thing we can help out of this is you know what should we not say how do we you know (laughs) is it transgender is it not that big name that you said that you're commonly known as i think my understanding nikki you're more see yourself more through a female's eyes than the transgender transgender, eyes could you explain
2: that a little bit so the first thing to say is i'm quite an unusual trans woman i don't necessarily represent the views of the rest of the community got it Um,
1: You've always been unusual. Come on,
2: that's how you and I uh, got on together ten years ago. Yeah, well, I that might be true. Uh, <laughs> like when people say, "What pronouns do you use?" Yeah. My response is, "I don't often use them." Like I don't often go, "Look, she's arrived." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, I'm she's sorry. Here. But, yeah. And also, guess what? I don't use. I don't have my own adjectives either. Like, look, she's amazing. <laughs> From well, now, now on, I insist you must all refer to me as the beautiful <laughs> or the glamorous, Nikki Take. Like so your ideas for your show now. There you so go. My, so yeah, my stance is like you use whatever pronouns you feel comfortable and appropriate for me. But let me give you, you know, a health warning. Other people listening, when they hear you use he or him for me, yes, they will make an assumption that you're an idiot because I spent an hour doing my makeup and it's clearly, obviously, kind of inappropriate. Beautiful, by the way, Nikki. Yeah, Thank, thank you. you, thank you. But from my point of view, I like to know where the idiots are in the room. And so I quite...
1: <laughs> That's why we got on tenure. Yeah, I
2: do want to listen. When people when people sit there and refer to me as he, it's like I've got a little chick, I know exactly where you are. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't get offended. There are lots of trans women who and trans men to some extent, but there are lots of trans people who get very offended by being misgendered. I don't. I just think it's comical. And mostly it happens like we were talking earlier about the classification in your head. Once people have put you into that box, once system one has decided that you're a potential threat and therefore you're male, it's very hard for people to rewind that. It's also quite interesting when you just let it lie that eventually, after you know, when you spend more time with people, eventually all those people who knew me as a boy, they all struggle to stop using the male. That's where I am, Nikki. You, yeah. that, That's It's almost a sort of... But you just need to spend more time with me because eventually what will happen, and I'll hear it in, the, in your voice, it'll just drop. And what's happened yeah. is I've moved from one box in your head to the other. And the pronoun shift, which I listen for in people, is almost always frequented with a change of social interaction as well so they don't just start referring to me as she and her they also
0: use the word bitch and, and oh, I
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> again
0: not much has happened <laughs> like there's lots of other female pronouns we could explore perhaps
2: yeah, they're right quite interesting like you know, when i used when i fired somebody as a boy you know i was a strong boss when i fire somebody as a girl i'm a bitch like it's
0: very interesting mm, nikki taking a step out onto the precipice. And I think it is incumbent upon us to ask difficult questions and talk about difficult subjects. We want our audience to, we want our audience, not just to learn some of the great advice that you've got, but also to understand what your experience as a woman, formerly a boy, as a trans woman has been in the corporate world. You shared a really let's say, uncomfortable example of you know, how you've been treated, and it was around bathrooms, I will stop there. Will you share what you're comfortable with that's there so we can learn what your experience has been and then hopefully you know, find ways to, to make this better?
2: Yeah, so you know, I think one of the red flags for the trans community is bathroom use. I have a very different attitude towards it than most trans people, I think, but it is a red flag to Lots of the community. So the first time, so I had a, one of my biggest clients for years was a company called Optum, who were a small division of a company called United Of. small yep. in 400 billion
0: up, up but, in Minneapolis, yeah. Paul. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> so this small 400 billion dollar subsidiary bought another small <laughs>
0: 300
2: GPs in 320 GPs in Connecticut called ProHealth and I went to do a workshop for them about their value proposition. And I, first time I'd kind of travel to the US, you know, as a girl, and first time I'd run a session as a as a girl. And at the end, we said, which bathroom, you know, I know it's sensitive over here, so which bathroom do you want me to use to have a pee before we head back to the airport? And one of the senior ladies kind of whisked me off to the toilet and we, you know, had a pee and retook my makeup and said goodbye and kind of left. And then, 3 months later i got a phone call from my contact who's actually a really good friend like and you know he subsequently left them and i think part of his decision to leave them was the fact they forced him to have this conversation with me but basically the ceo of the you know primary healthcare business had complained to the ceo of united health who had instructed the ceo of optum to instruct pete to tell me that until I could produce a gender reassignment certificate, basically a piece of paper signed by a doctor saying I'd had my penis removed, I was not allowed to use the female bathrooms on any United Health wow. sites anywhere in the US. And that's quite, and actually, that made life quite difficult because uh, in their headquarters in Minneapolis, they only have one gender-neutral bathroom, and it's the disabled toilet outside the reception. And so, every time I needed a pee, I'd a have, reception, I'd have to you know walk, and you know, we're talking yeah. a half a mile walk to yeah. to go to the nearest all-gender bathroom. And um, you know, the trans narrative is that that you know there's something we need to fight for. That I have a right to use the ladies' bathroom, and we should fight for it. I don't want to. This that like, a, but I feel like for me that's far too masculine approach to this, and so I have a different attitude. And my attitude is when I'm at conferences and and I speak at conferences about sales and selling and D and I all the time, I usually started off by saying, okay. You know, obviously I'm trans, used to be a boy, I'm okay now. And so obviously it's, <laughs> I've been on stage for an hour and a half, I'm also diabetic, I'm going to need to go to the toilet for a pee. <laughs> uh, and, and unless anybody is really upset, like I'm going to use the ladies' toilet upset here. And then, you know, for the sake of, for the avoidance of doubt, I don't really care what the men think. Like I am not peeing and the boys you are never going to see me there. So, you know. not an issue but i I don't want to make any of the women in the room feel uncomfortable so if any of you feel the slightest bit uncomfortable with the idea of a trans woman in the cubicle next to you once you have a pee take a post-it and just put it on the inside of the back door of the toilet and every time i go to pee i will turn around and see if there's a post-it on the door i'll go find another toilet where they don't know i'm trans right and by the way when i'm in the bathroom please don't talk to me because my biggest fear is that Eighty-year-old Ethel is having a pee at the end cubicle, and here's my boy voice. <laughs> and, and suddenly, she thinks she might have made a mistake in coming to the wrong toilet, mm. and, and I don't want her feeling uncomfortable. So, yeah. don't talk to me when we're in there. And so far, I've probably given that spiel to in excess of twenty thousand delegates, twenty thousand women, and there's never been a post-it.
1: Something I'd not even thought about, and it's complicated even just thinking about it. If you and if you didn't take it the way you could only do Nikki, then. That's a fun, at least a way of getting through it, which goes back to your laughter gets better together. If you, I mean, yeah, that's complicated. I mean, I'm just trying to
0: put myself in your shoes. Sorry, Jerry. Yeah, I mean, these are issues that, experiences that are sometimes that is a bit difficult to process. You want to figure out like, well, how do I feel about that? And what could I do about that? And I don't have the answers, but it reminds me that maybe a more mature approach for corporations to consider would be doing away with gender-specific bathrooms altogether. There are so, corporations that have unisex bathrooms, but but maybe it's uncomfortable. For, but, I mean, maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Maybe it's uncomfortable for the, you know, it doesn't address all, you know, constituencies. Uh, uh, so
2: personally, I have a, I think that's a mistake as well. Okay. Uh, at least in part, because I, like every other woman, particularly want you coming in and pissing all over the seat because you can't be bothered to lift the seat up. And whether we like it or not, that is the truth. But that's more of a protocol than a moral or philosophical argument. It is. I think all organizations should have a trans policy. I think most of them do now. And I think the trans policy ought to be around bathrooms. Use whichever bathroom you feel comfortable in. Yes. And there should be a choice. You know, So maybe there should be boys and girls and all gender ones, which is exactly what I mean, the the company I'm with at the moment, MMC, have remodeled all their offices, and that's what they've done. Mm. I don't often use the all gender ones. I use in right uh, email. Nick, but it is slightly different though when it's at work and everybody knows me. Like it's not like right. yeah yeah. yeah. It, this is a, we're not talking about that really. Like the problem, the issue isn't really in offices. Like the issue is really, you know, uh, you know uh, like at a sports but, stadium or something. Visiting, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, you know, the right-wing anti-trans groups, I think they know that when it comes down to, you know, where should I be? Obviously, you know, the boys' room is where I'm at risk, right? I mean, they like you know, beaten up or picked up. Yep. Either way, it's not a comfortable place to be. Yeah. And for a young trans girl, you know, for, you know, girls in their, 18 17 18 19 like they shouldn't like there's no question that they should be in in that environment so there has to be somewhere safe for trans talking about safe nikki you talked to me
1: was a couple of well actually a couple of years ago you did a song and then it was amazing to me personally of how many people trans went missing or committed suicide etc can you just cover that slightly because that just totally
2: blew uh, my mind away so yes, so the stats, are, again, you can you can find all this on my website if you want to see the actual stats. But roughly speaking, in the general population, in America and the, in the US and Europe, like it's all pretty much the same. It's yeah. marginal differences. The stats are that about 4% of the general population will have a lifetime suicide attempt. So you know, 4% of people will at some point think it's time to lie down on the tracks kind of thing. Mm-hmm. In the trans community... It's 10 times that. It's it's yeah. 40% of trans people wow. have thought about ending it. And that 40% rockets to 85% if, during school age, they are bullied at school. So we find 85% of trans kids... And the amount of trans kids is, you know, skyrocketing. Now people know what it is. Now people can identify it. Now, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-olds are looking at the television and they're seeing jazz and they're seeing trans and they're going, that's me, and they're learning that they don't have to identify in that either pink or blue category that there are, you know, that, that it's blossoming. And what we know is if they experience you know, bullying. And to be fair, you know, being told by, you know, the chief executive of your largest client, like, don't do this, is, it feels very much like yeah, bullying. Yeah, very bullying. Yeah. If that happens to, you know, a 14, 15, 16-year-old person who's questioning their gender, 85% of them have a suicide attempt. So thinking about energy workforce of tomorrow, Nikki, what do we need to do as an
1: industry and as people to make this more acceptable? To accept transgenders, etc., in the community,
2: and at work, what's your? It's going to sound like a very self-serving answer, but you know, you can't be what you can't see. And I think with all inclusion and diversity, the more we can see at senior level the people that we want to be, um, hmm. the easier it is for things to shift and move in that direction. So I think there needs to be more visible trans people in the workplace. And it's quite a big ask. I mean, like I said, I'm unusual in that I'm quite happy to identify as trans and I'm quite happy to talk about the fact I used to be a boy, but I'm all right now. But there are a large proportion of trans people who want to transition. Yeah. They want to be thought of and seen as women, or men and they wanna be invisible. Like they don't want you to tell everybody, oh, you know, Ale used to be a boy, like she's gonna die. Like she doesn't want anybody to know that. And I have have lots of trans friends who don't want everybody to know that they're trans. Like they want everybody to think they're female or think they're male or gonna put them in their category. Like I'm really unusual. Like I am quite like, when I, I got put on the Financial Times outstanding list, the top 100 LGBT mm-hmm. executives. I was going to say no until I realized that, you know, actually if I'm on the list, like I can't be a role model if people don't see me as trans. Like, so I want to I walk down the street and I want people to look at me and go, oh, she's trans. My God, she looks great. Like, I like the outfit, I like the boots. Like, you know, I want people to respond to me and go, oh, there's a trans person. But that's really unusual. Most trans people don't want that. Most trans people... You, you want to be invisible and we call it going stealth. They want to be stealth in society. But I think, I personally feel a moral obligation to be out and to be seen. I think, you know, to be seen as being an interesting and successful, you know, competent business person first and the, oh, she helps to be trans. Not the, you know, Caitlyn Jenner is famous because Caitlyn Jenner is trans like she transitioned like she wanted yeah. a the kardashian spotlight and decided that a transition would be the way to do it like it feels like she's not famous for anything other than transitioning i think the more we can find trans people who are really really good at what they do and have really interesting points of view the better and we'll find them one last thought i guess for you is there's of all of the gender frameworks that might be out there the one that most appeals to me is the aztec the native american indians Mm -hmm. don't have a concept of two genders like the western you know that comes it comes from the abrahamic religions you know saying god we're created in god's image man and woman that forces this idea that there's only two roles in society male and female but all of the american indians all have their gender constructs come from the aztec world and in the aztec world there were six genders and The six genders are physically male, so, you know, male pages, yeah. kind of physically male, spiritually male, I'll be male, physically female, spiritually female, there's your two kind of bi-genders. Yeah. Then you've got your transgenders, physically male, spiritually female, and then spiritually uh, female, physically male, there's your two. And then they have the number five and six are in the middle, are physically whatever, right? But spiritually both and it's often referred to as twin spirits or two-spirited people interesting that's where i feel Mm -hmm. comfortable i think i channel both female energy and male energy i feel like i sit in that twin spirit this weekend i'm going to mohican sun in Ah. and part of the reason i always go to mohican sun when i'm in new york is because it's run by the Mohican tribe. And as soon as I step through the door, they recognize me as being twin-spirited. I get upgraded. And last time I was there, I got invited to go and sit with the elders and watch the show free of charge because most of the American Indians pull their wise elders from a twin-spirit Group. Wow. We are seen as because we can see the world from both point, both sides of, you know, of the gender gap. We can also see an argument from both sides. And actually, I think it's why I'm good at my job. Like I am able to sit with you and help you figure out how your prospect will react to what you say. I effectively role play both sides of the argument in order to find a win-win. And that's how we win deals. So actually, I think I am what I am because of what I am. Mm.
1: And your view then, coaching to me, Nikki is, and Jerry, and the awareness, inclusion, and just, you know. Yeah,
2: I think we need to find more trans people and help them be more visible. Yeah. Uh, The biggest problem trans people face in the workplace is we can't get into the workplace. Mm. Like, people, people won't hire us. And the reason they won't hire us is, again, i give throw some stats at you. We're 0.03% of the population. Trans women are slightly half. So, you know, you need a room of 600 people to find one of me. Mm. Like, in general, most trans people just want to live their lives. Yeah. Just want to get on with it. And Mm. so, you know, I think organizations should seek us out because I think the more trans people you put into teams, the more you will force everybody else to learn to listen
0: well and i mean yeah selfishly better chicken curry yeah
1: yeah there you go yeah right. that's, a, that's what this a is a salt yeah. <laughs>
2: well,
1: nicky the other thing is you must be using the humor element i love what you're doing because at the Ed- edinburgh fringe you're on sh- i've seen some of your shows as well i've been there it's a great way of really raising awareness with the you know of white dumb guys that don't really get it, and it's a real big eye-opener, right? I mean, I th- that must be a great thing that you you feel like you're giving an awareness to. Otherwise, it's going to be very
2: uncomfortable for some of us to take on, yeah, right? I, I think, uh, you know, humour is, humour at its best, humour is social agitation, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you know, George yeah. Colin, you know, would, would say, George Colin, you know, might have been a comic but really, I think he was a philosopher and, you know, my hero, his observations about American society and about consumerism and about, you know, you know our place in the world, like are all kind of, like, you know, they should stop and make you think. But he had this gift of doing it, you know, by making people laugh and if you make people laugh you make them feel more comfortable you push people out of their comfort zone and then crack a joke and they relax outside of their comfort zone well then you know they're in that space where they're going to learn and grow so i think humor is i think humor is a really important tool for helping lubricate change in society like it helps make it easier when we can sit and laugh at ourselves yeah and, and recognize that we're laughing at ourselves recognize that you know there were ideas that we all used to hold that yet yeah, now are quite toxic and instead of feeling shame about that to to, to laugh about it and mm-hmm. kind
0: of you know mm-hmm. all and, moved on. you know i know we're, we're coming up on time here but i really Just want to thank you for being so open with us and sharing your experience and giving thoughtful, impactful advice. I think we all can do better. We will do better. And I agree with a lot of your thinking around how we can increase visibility and participation and diversity and all of those things by being more pronounced and thoughtful about it and pushing, because I think we all have to be courageous a bit and push and then you know, kinda of look for opportunities to make an impact here. Yeah. Good. Nikki, I would I would say to you, I've known you for seven years. I think you look absolutely gorgeous.
1: Love you to bits. I have loved you for the last seven years and I really you have made me think. You know what I'm like, Nikki. I I wanted to do this because it's more for us and the listeners to really rethink about this. And I think the awareness we need a prod. We do need a prod and think about what's happening. And some of the stories are yeah. I think Jerry it's just a yeah, a real good sort of view from us of what do we need to do as a community and how do we continually be inclusive as an industry as Let's well.
0: think about our audience. Oil and gas industry probably has a long way to go.
2: Yeah, but, you know, I made the observation when we were chatting before, like you're no worse or better than any of the organizations I work for. Like yeah. the organizations are, you know, by default conservative places and don't like change and always lag behind you know, where the outside world is. And yeah. so, you know, 20 years ago, it would have been inconceivable, you know, for me to operate as a yeah. woman. And Certainly. now, actually, you know, I think I'm I'm a pretty, I'm pretty sought after because it's in the zeitgeist now. And so, and in 20 years time, my kids, quite interestingly, are, you know, in their 20s, my eldest wants to be a politician. And he is adamant that in 20 years time, there won't be such a thing as trans interesting by then the world will have grown up like yeah like everybody his age like there isn't i've never met i've met a few people who feel uncomfortable with me but they're all our
0: age like i have never
2: ever met a 17 18 19 year old who doesn't just think i'm as cool as shit
0: yeah 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 well my 15 year old daughter and my 13 year old daughter are right there with you we have regular groups at our house and They are an incredibly diverse group of kids and friends, and they're so comfortable with each other. And it's teaching me a lot. And you're right, we're evolving. So, we are, we are. And and, yeah, so there's hope.
1: Good news. And, Nikki, any last words before I close off the show? You enjoy this? Was it good? It's been fun. It's been nice to catch up, Jason. All right. So, thank you, Nikki, again. So, listeners, as we've always said, another podcast done. Please give us your comments so we can adapt and improve our podcast. And if you want to be like Nikki and want to get on the show, please drop Jerry and I or some of the co hosts. I note. we'd love to get you guys on and hopefully you found that useful. Thanks again, Jerry. That's a wrap, I think.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Nikki. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, you, guys. Talk to you soon, Nikki. Cheers. Bye. Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.